Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 13th May 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This week, Pfizer to boost migraine presence via M&A. Roche's immunotherapy ambitions take a hit. Biogen's CEO search gets more complicated. Stoffels lays out new strategy for Galapagos and mixed results for Japanese majors. Pfizer is poised to enter the migraine market with the full strength of its marketing power, raising the stakes in an already crowded and competitive commercial market. The US giant announced a deal on 10th May to buy the migraine specialist Biohaven Pharmaceutical Holding in a transaction valued at $11.6 billion, gaining the oral migraine drug Nurtech ODT and a nasal spray Zevecapant pending US approval, as well as five preclinical calcitonin gene-related peptide inhibitor assets. Jessica Mel writes that the deal fulfills Pfizer's promise to investors to expand its late-stage and commercial portfolio with near-term growth drivers and puts Pfizer at the centre of a growing therapeutic area dominated by other big pharma rivals, chiefly AbbVie, Eli Lilly and Amgen. Coupled with Pfizer's best-in-class primary care footprint and our highly experienced field infrastructure, we see the potential for annual global peak revenues in excess of $6 billion annually, Pfizer Chief Financial Officer David Denton said of the migraine franchise during a same-day call outlining the strategic rationale for the deal. Pfizer had already signalled its interest in the migraine space, signing a partnership with Biohaven last November to commercialise Remegapant and Zavegapant outside the US. In that deal, Pfizer invested $350 million to acquire 2.6% of Biohaven's common stock. For each share, Biohaven shareholders will also receive 0.5% of a share of a new publicly traded company that will retain Biohaven's non-migraine pipeline compounds. This new company, which will continue to operate under the Biohaven name, will be led by CEO Vlad Koric and the current management team. The decision to buy out to Biohaven's migraine franchise in full was part of an evolution in thinking, according to Pfizer Chief Business Innovation Officer Amir Malik. We got a chance to know the company better, know the asset better, and we felt there was an additional opportunity for us to leverage our capabilities in the US, he said. Pfizer may also have been able to get better financial terms by waiting. Biohaven's stock price has dropped by more than 60% from where it was trading on 8th November, the day before the company announced the ex-US partnering deal with Pfizer, driven partly by the general upheaval in the biotech sector and concerns about the growth outlook for Biohaven. Roche has suffered a major setback in its goal to lead in a new class of cancer immunotherapies, with the surprise failure of its anti-tigit tiragolumab in non-small cell lung cancer. Andrew McConaughey writes the results have also damaged the firm's long-term growth prospects, which depend on it finding new cancer therapies to replace older blockbusters now beset by biosimilars. The pivotal Phase 3 Skyscraper 01 study, combining tiragolumab with established anti-PD-L1 immunotherapy T-centric versus T-centric alone, failed to meet its co-primary endpoints of progression-free survival in first-line treatment for people with PD-L1 high, locally advanced or metastatic NSC-LC. 
At this first analysis, the combination also failed to achieve its other co-primary endpoints of overall survival, but the company said these data remained immature and that it would await results from the next planned analysis. Roche had already suffered a failure with tiragolumab in small cell lung cancer in the Skyscraper 02 trial in late March, but the company and experts were optimistic that Skyscraper 01 would show clear benefits over a PD-L1 therapy alone. While the other trial had shown a 71% reduction in the risk of disease worsening or death, the larger Skyscraper 01 study failed to show any improvement at all over T-centric. That trial had shown a 71% reduction in the risk of disease worsening or death, but the larger Skyscraper 01 study failed to show any improvement at all over T-centric. For Roche, the results have dashed its hopes of challenging the dominance of Merck Co's Keytruder in NSCLC, a goal which was key to its growth strategy. While disclosing no details, the company said a numerical improvement was observed in both co-primary endpoints. It added that Turagolumab plus Decentric was well tolerated and no new safety signals were identified when adding the TIGIT therapy. This leaves some room for a subsequent improvement as the results mature, but analysts may now write off the blockbuster forecast they had for Turagolumab in NSCLC, such as Jeffrey's projection of $2.5 billion in peak worldwide sales. Andrew also writes that now that Biogen CEO Mikhail Vunatsos is departing after having presided over the disastrous launch of the Alzheimer's therapy Adjuhelm, Biogen is on the hunt for a new leader to turn around the company's fortunes. However, candidates may not be eager to fill his shoes while some big questions about Biogen's future remain unclear, most notably the phase 3 results for its next anti-amyloid antibody, lecanemab. Brunatsos' exit was announced on 3rd May after it became clear there was no future for the beta-amyloid clearing therapy Adjuhelm, having generated negligible revenues from its first months on the market and once the US Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services confirmed that it would not cover the drug. It also became apparent that the EU regulator would not accept its filing. One week later, hope of a second chance in Alzheimer's for Biogen rose when partner Azai completed on 9th May a US rolling biologic license application seeking accelerated approval for lecanemab, its amyloid beta protofibril targeting antibody. However, the decisive moment for lecanemab is the readout from its Phase 3 Clarity AD trial, which is expected in the fall, according to Azai and Biogen. That timing makes starting the hunt now for a new Biogen CEO tricky. First of all, Adjuhelm has badly damaged the company's reputation, and not many top executives will want to take on the risk of restoring Biogen's tarnished image. Also, prospective candidates are unlikely to want to jump into the hot seat at Biogen ahead of the pivotal readout for Lecanemab, because its success or failure will help determine just how difficult a turnaround will be. Bernstein analyst Ronnie Gall said in a 10th May note that Biogen was in the odd situation of having to pick CEO and head of R&D with the skill set required being very different depending on the outcome of Lecanemab Pivotal. Given the readout's impact, Biogen might elect to await the results before hiring a new CEO and the fact that Vernatsos does not have a stated departure date, having agreed to stay on until a successor is found, would back that up. At the end of March, Biogen had $4.75 billion in cash on its balance sheet, 
and a net debt of 2.52 billion, which is seen as giving it plenty of scope for the option of substantial M&A activity, most likely in the $1 to $5 billion range. A month after taking over the hot seat at Galapagos, once the darling of Europe's biotech sector before a series of clinical and regulatory setbacks struck, Paul Stoffels, former chief scientific officer at Johnson & Johnson, has laid out plans to create value for the Belgian firm. One of the most respected names in pharma, Stoffels took over as CEO from Ono van der Stolpe, the founder of Galapagos on 1st April taking on a company that has seen the termination of candidates for osteoarthritis and idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, as well as partner and major stakeholder Gilead Sciences walk away from US development of Gicelica, which is already approved in Europe and Japan for rheumatoid arthritis and ulcerative colitis. However, speaking as Galapagos unveiled its first quarter results and a promising commercial start for Gicelica, Stoffel said, I'm fascinated and impressed by what the team has been doing over the last years and where we are today, and especially with the capabilities of what the team has brought together. And I'm convinced even more than before I joined that Galapagos has the opportunity to become a fully integrated and remain an independent European biopharma. Kevin Grogan writes that Stoffels argued that Dicelica was an example of how Galapagos went in a very unique way from discovery to development to commercialization. You have a real end-to-end company with all the capabilities and Gicelica is a really growing franchise in Europe, Stoffels said. However, analysts are more interested in finding out how Galapagos intends to make use of its strong balance sheet. The company ending Q1 with cash and equivalents of 4.64 billion euros. Stoffel said, the value creation power of Galapagos is around moving assets from preclinical to early clinical proof of concept and making sure that we are responsible for a significant part of the value creation. That's where we need to bring in assets. He added that the firm was also looking at bringing in phase two candidates, but I think less about phase three assets because their strategy is set. Most of the value is created and prices are extremely high to bring in attractive assets in late stage where a limited added value can be generated by a company like us. Continued growth of mainstay products and favorable currency tailwinds emerge as common themes as major players in Japan's pharmaceutical industry release their fiscal annual and first quarter calendar results and outline key strategic plans for the rest of the year. Lisa Takagi writes that while Daiichi Sankyo revealed ambitious plans for its rapidly rising oncology star Enhertu, Chugai foresaw stable growth for Ronaprive and Actemra and expressed hopes for Hemlibra. Astellas, meanwhile, reacted to concerns over US challenges to Extandi with an ambitious investment plan for its next potential star performer. Daiichi Sankyo's revenues for the financial year ended 31st March grew by 8% to 1,044 billion yen, or $8.02 billion, led by mainstays including anticoagulant lixiana, pain treatment Talige, and the oncology antibody drug conjugate Enhertu. A key strategy going forward will be the continued expansion of indications for Enhertu, which is already approved for later-line HER2-positive breast cancer in multiple countries. 
On 4th of May, the therapy received US approval for unresectable or metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer in adults who have received a prior anti-HER2-based regimen, either in the metastatic setting or in the neoadjuvant or adjuvant setting, and have developed disease recurrence during or within six months of completing therapy. Astellas, meanwhile, showed its first positive revenue growth for the last three fiscal years, its top-line figure rising by 4% to 1,296 billion yen, slightly below its original forecast. The growing cost for digital transformation and sales management impacted the result, including a 8 billion yen gain for R&D due to the weakening yen against the dollar. The growth was led by its main products, including Extandi, Zospata for acute myeloid leukemia, and Padsev for advanced urothelial cancer. Extandi revenues grew by 17% to 534 billion yen, and the firm forecasts the drug will grow to 1.2 trillion yen by 2025. However, its sales growth in the biggest markets of the US and Europe was lower than expected in the fourth quarter of the fiscal year, as the pandemic slowed sales activity and limited patient access to clinics. Chugai showed rapid growth of 90% from the last quarter, reporting 242.7 billion yen for the first quarter of the calendar year ended 31st March. Product revenue grew almost twice the previous year's first quarter, mainly from primary products including the combination antibody therapy for SARS-CoV-2 Ronaprev and Enspring for neuromyelitis optical spectrum disorder. The company is also planning to increase exports of the IL-6 targeting antibody Actemra to parent Roche by 41% in 2022. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. A reminder to log in to access these stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and all the other content from Scrip, of which this represents just a fraction. If you're not already a subscriber, take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.